to listen. Father God, we ask you now, Lord, just to um, draw near your church. Give us understanding of your word today. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've entitled this message, um, Christmas message, Waiting Patiently. Waiting Patiently. And um, the psalm that I read um, speaks of waiting on the Lord. Look what it says. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. We don't like waiting very often. Waiting is a very difficult thing for us to do. I can remember um, on my honeymoon, Kim and I, we went over to um, Anguilla um, over in the West Indies. And uh, we went into a, a supermarket to, uh, to buy some, some food and some supplies. And, and um, we wanted some frozen chicken. So I went to find a lady and I found a lady and I said to her, excuse me. And she said to me, yes, dear. I said, do you have any frozen, do you have any frozen chicken? And she said, just wait. And she went, into the, she went into the freezer. And as she went into the freezer, we stayed there waiting. She never came out. You know, I believe that if I went back there 30-odd years now, she'd still be in the freezer uh, and not coming out. In the West Indies, things are so slow, you have to wait for everything over in Caribbean. But we do not like waiting. But the Bible says that we need to wait for the Lord. I want to introduce you to two people who waited for Christmas. I want to introduce you to the two people who were looking forward. We, in our day, we look back over 2,000 years and we look back to Christmas. But there was two people in the New Testament who was waiting for Christmas. So let's look at these two people a little bit more closely. My first heading then is God's plan. Let's introduce you to this first man. Um, we read these words of this man whose name was Simeon. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. We learn three things about this man, Simeon. We learn that this man, Simeon, was righteous he was devout and he was waiting. Simon had it right. He was waiting for the Messiah to come to rescue Israel. He was waiting for the Messiah to come to rescue a nation. Now we have a different view about Christmas our society gets it so wrong. You see, we see a sweet little baby in a manger with a few nice shepherds around him. And we see a few farm animals. That's what we see. Simeon didn't see that. Simeon was looking forward to someone who was strong enough to carry a nation. 
Simeon was looking forward to one, not just a simple baby in a manger, but someone who will save a whole people. What a contrast. No wonder Christmas is relegated in our society to something of a winter festival. Simeon here raises Christmas up into a powerful event. Someone is coming to rescue and to save. So why is this event the most significant event in history, together with the crucifixion of Jesus? Why is the birth of Jesus so powerful, so significant? Well, Simeon helps us again. Let's go back to him and see what he says over in Luke chapter 2, verse 30. He says this. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. I have seen your salvation. Does God, does God need to be saved? Is God's name, has God's name become so small and so weak that God needs saving? You know, years ago, I, I used to work, I'm going back a long time ago, about 30 odd years ago, I used to work for um, Marks and Spencers um, over in Oxford Street. Marks and Spencers used to have the biggest store over in Oxford Street. And I was part of a 20 to 30 strong security team in that, rest, in that, um, in that store. It was huge. It had one on one side of Oxford Street and another big one on the other side of Oxford Street. But over the years, they have seen a great decline in the name of Mark Suspensis. Nobody wants their clothing anymore. They might want their food, but nobody wants their clothing anymore. And Mark Suspensis has spent a huge amount of money trying to spin their name, trying to get their name um, big again. Um, CNA couldn't do it. Wilkerson's couldn't do it. Woolworths couldn't do it. But Marks and Spencer's are still clinging on and they're trying to make their name great. You know, during um, Tony Blair, when he was Prime Minister, after Princess Diana died, the royal family had a bad name. And um, the Queen and the royal family went over to Tony Blair's government and say, how can you help us get a better name with the public? Is God in the same situation? Has God's name become so weak and so feeble that he needs saving? So Simeon turns around and says, I have seen your salvation because you need help. Is that what Simeon saying? That God needs help? Absolutely not. When Simeon says, I have seen your salvation, Simeon was saying, God, I have seen your plan. I have seen your idea. 
Let's, let's ground it in God's word. Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned against God and disobeyed? When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they separated themselves from God. What did they do? They decided to hide. They decided to make leaves for themselves and hid themselves away. That's what they did. They could not bridge the gap between themselves and God. So what did God do? God came down. God stepped into the garden. God searched for the man. The man didn't search for God. God searched for the man. And when God found the man, God covered him, not with leaves, but God made a, killed an animal and covered him with skin, with clothing from an animal. And God covered his nakedness. It was God's plan. God had to step into the garden. God had to work. God had to devise a plan of salvation. The men could not do it themselves. God had to do it. And so likewise, Simeon saw this. Man, you and I have no way back to God. No way. We cannot even look in God's direction. So God had his plan. God had his salvation. God stepped Not into the garden like he did in Genesis, but God stepped into Bethlehem. Hallelujah. God stepped into Bethlehem, into that manger. And his plan was to bring men and women into the right relationship with him. What Simeon saw, you and I must see. We mustn't just see a baby in a manger, shepherds around. No, no, no. We must see God at work. It is God's plan, God's idea, God's rescue. That is what you and I need to see. But Simeon is not done yet. First of all, he speaks about God's plan, but he says something else. He speaks about a light. Look what he says. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. Whatever you think about Israel and the war that's going on against Hamas, Jesus was born in Israel. Whatever you think about Israel and the Jews, Jesus was a Jew. And listen to what Paul says about the Jewish nation. They, that is the Jews, are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshipping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are their ancestors and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he, that is Christ, is God 
the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Amen. That is who Jesus Christ is. He is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. He is the glory of Israel. That is the glory of Israel. Israel cannot glory in their army, in their navy, in their aircraft, in their intelligence, in their power, in their strength. None of these things are Israel's glory. There's only one glory Israel has got, and that is Jesus Christ. Whether they know it or not, and many of them do not know it, but the only glory that Israel has is Jesus Christ, not the military, not the technology, not the strength of a nation. Their glory is Jesus Christ. Simeon told us that. But also, Simeon says that Jesus Christ is to be a light to the nations. And when he said that, Jesus Christ picks it up over in the um, Gospel of John. He picks it up and Jesus turns around and says, you know what Simeon said? I'm going to be a light as a baby. Listen, he was right because I am the light of the world. I like what Isaiah says. Isaiah says this, people who are living in darkness have seen a great light. The question is, my dear friends, you and I are living in a world of complete darkness. And yet there's a light that has come in to the darkness. Have you seen that light? Do you know Jesus Christ as the light of your life? He is the light of the world. Simeon spoke about him even as a baby. He's going to be a light to the Gentiles. He is the light. Do you know him? Are you seeing him? Has he entered into your dark world, into your dark family? Is that light the light of your life? Simeon, when he sees the baby in the manger, did not see just the baby. He sees God stepping in to that manger, bringing the light of life. That's my first point. My first point, I've only got two. My first point is God's plan. My second person, my second point is God's price. God's plan, God's price. So Simeon was a man was waiting and waiting and waiting and then he sees Christmas. He sees Christ. Another person who was waiting, her name was Anna. Anna was waiting too. So we have her in our Bible. Now these two names might be new to you, but they're there in the Christmas story. They're right there around the birth of Jesus. And here's Anna. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. A lot of information about this woman. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child 
to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This woman was waiting. How was she waiting? Well, we read that she was waiting day and night, fasting and praying. This woman was engaged with God, constantly speaking to him and crying out to him. And when she saw the child, the Bible says she went up and she spoke about this child. She spoke about the redemption of Jerusalem. He was going to redeem Jerusalem. He was going to put down a payment. That's what redeem means. Redemption or redeem means to put down a payment. And she was looking at Jesus and say, here is the one who's going to put down a payment to redeem Jerusalem. And not just Jerusalem, although Jerusalem was the one that she quoted right here, it was Jerusalem, but that, that payment was going to be enough and sufficient, not just for Jerusalem, but for every generation of all nationalities of all time. Anna saw the price being paid. Where? At Jerusalem. And she was absolutely right. For this baby would be taken outside the city walls of Jerusalem. There's a hymn writer that writes, there is a green hill far away outside the city walls where their dear Lord was crucified who died to save us all. We cannot know, we cannot tell what pain he had to bear, but we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. Jesus was taken outside of Jerusalem and crucified. And the person who denied him three times, Peter, who said, I didn't know him, I didn't know him, I don't know him, three times, Peter later on will sit down with his pen and paper as he was thinking about what Anna was saying about the price, the redemption, he began to write in his letter and he thought, what price did Jesus pay? And he writes these words. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. There's that word, redemption. That you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from our ancestors. No, not silver, not gold. What was it? But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That was the price. Anna was right. She saw something in that baby. She saw a price being paid for the redemption of Jerusalem and ultimately the redemption of you and me. You know, when you are getting quality, you are willing to pay a higher price. I remember my first kitchen I ever bought. I'm going to close with this story. I remember the first kitchen I ever bought. It was from MFI. Now, some of you don't know what MFI means, but don't worry about it. It was MFI. 
and I bought my first kitchen. It looked good in the showroom. Three weeks after it had been in my, my, my flat, the handle came off. The door swung loose. The knobs were all not working properly. After six months, my kitchen looked like a state. You see, if you buy something from MFI, you might get that. But if you buy a bespoke kitchen, you know, a high-quality kitchen, you pay a higher price. I'm sure some of you have got kitchens not from MFI, right? Um, but if you've got a good kitchen, you know that your kitchen's going to work and last a little bit longer than one that you buy from a store like MFI. Because you paid a higher price for quality. I want to tell you this. According to God, you are quality. He paid the highest price for you. You are quality. Why? Because you're made in the image of God. And because you are quality, guess what? Satan knows how much quality you are. And that's why he wants to rob God of you. That's why he wants to blind your eyes. That's why he wants to drag you away. He knows how much value God places upon you. You are quality. And how do I know that you're quality? Because of the price that was paid for you. Not silver, not gold, but the precious blood of Jesus. A lamb without defect, without spot, without anything wrong with him, perfect, came down, God himself, stepping into Bethlehem's manger and paying an ultimate price. Anna was praying. Anna was fasting. And God revealed to her the price of your redemption. Do you know how valuable you are? Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how far God will go to bring you out from darkness into his marvellous light? Do you know how far? He will go as far as going to the cross and shedding his blood so that men and women in Loughton, in Golding's church, will not be separated from him forever, but will be able to enjoy God, not only now, but for all time. Christmas, it's not just about a baby in a manger. It's about a rescuer, a redeemer, someone who's strong enough to carry a nation, to carry a world, to carry a people out from darkness and into his glorious light. Let's pray. Amen. Let's pray. God Almighty, we are amazed. We look at ourselves. We say, we say we're, we're not much. We look at ourselves and we say we're not great. We haven't got letters after or before our names. No one really knows us apart from the circle of people that's around us. We're not that important. But Lord, to you, we are valuable. To you, oh God Almighty, we are precious. We don't fully understand why, Lord, but you have set your love upon us. You have loved us with an everlasting love. 
You have cared for us and watched over our lives. And Lord, you have provided a way for us to have a relationship with you. It's your plan. You put it into action. It's your salvation. And so therefore, we want to follow the instruction carefully. We want to follow you by asking Jesus to come into our hearts and our lives. We don't want to stay looking at a manger scene and looking at a baby scene. No, 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 Lord. We want to understand that this baby is mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, one who's come to deliver and to rescue not just a nation, but the whole world. We thank you for your word which says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not die, shall not be separated from an eternal God, but shall have eternal life. Oh God, we bless you for your word and we give you praise for Jesus' sake.